Everyone has a story, and I believe that sharing your story has the power to connect people. I'm a working mom, wife, and seeker, and nothing lights me up and brings me more joy than having meaningful conversations. And one of the things I love to talk about is psychedelics. In December 2021, I experienced my first psychedelic journey with psilocybin. It was one of the most profound events in my life, and it opened me up to a deeper spiritual growth and helped me to heal. And now, talking to those who've experienced the therapeutic magic of psychedelics and hearing about their personal journey has become my passion. Mindful Trip is a safe space to have conversations that demystify and destigmatize the use of plant medicines. Conversations that allow us to have deeper connections with ourselves and others. I hope that sharing these intimate, funny, and inspiring stories helps you find the answers you're looking for. A wise friend said to me, all you can do is follow the threads and see where it takes you. So I hope you'll join me in unraveling the threads, staying open, and trusting the journey. This is Mindful Trip. Mindful Trip content and the views, thoughts, and opinions of the host, guests, and contributors is for informational purposes only and is not intended to be a substitute for professional legal advice or medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Consult with the medical provider or mental health care professional about your health-related questions. Mindful Trip does not encourage illegal activity, including but not limited to the illegal sale, purchase, or use of controlled substances. Hi, and thanks for joining me. Today, my friend Eva Cheska talks about her deeply personal journey with several transformative ayahuasca ceremonies that revealed her true calling. Eva Cheska DeAngelis is the founder of Temple Soto Luce, an organization for healing, consciousness, and expansion. She's an initiated medicine woman, integrative counselor, psyche spiritual guide, and shamanic practitioner. Eva Cheska is an eternal student and her passion for pursuing her personal studies and development is inspired by her own healing journey and is fueled by her life's mission to be of service to others on their own healing paths. Your support means a lot, so please subscribe, download, and share with friends and family. I'd also love to hear what resonates for you, so send me your comments. Hi, Evacheska. Hi. I'm so happy that we are doing this. Thank you so much for joining me. Thank you so much for having me. It's such a gift to be able to have this conversation with you and to share my story with people. So let's get started. I'm excited. We have a lot to talk about. Tell me a little bit about your childhood, how you grew up, and then give me a little bit of backstory as to what was going on in your life before you decided that you were going to try psychedelics for therapeutic purposes? Yeah. I mean, a little bit of my background is always a hard thing to do because it's a little tough to be succinct because I had a very unique upbringing and continue to have a, a pretty unique life, but I will do my best. I was raised in the San Francisco Bay Area by two pretty prolific in their own right psychotherapists. My mom has two PhDs and used to teach graduate level psychology at UC Berkeley as a published author. My father is a PhD psychotherapist as well with now to this day, 60, six zero years of psychedelic medicine experience. My mother used to lead LSD journeys for Wall Street tycoons in the 80s, among other things. Yeah. She also spent a great deal of time and brought me with her to Native American indigenous reservations when I was a child. And then she also studied curanderismo with the Quechua people, which is the, the practice of serving ayahuasca and various other entheogens. And the Quechua people are based out of the mountains in Peru. So this was always in my field as a child, even though it wasn't necessarily like part of the dinner table conversation. It was something that I was quite aware of. So things like set and setting and intention setting and integration have just always been something that have been part of my orbit. They're just words that I grew up with. There was never a time where I didn't know what ayahuasca was. It just kind of was a word that I knew, even though I didn't really think much of it. But given that my parents are who they are, my childhood was not without its own 
turbulence and issues just like anybody else's. And part of my path led me to leaving high school at 15 and going out on my own and starting college at a very young age. So I found myself at 16 years old being offered mushrooms for the very first time in a container that was not necessarily like very properly held. I had a really deep journey, a really, really beautiful, really deep journey. And also really recognized in that time and in that space that like I was not in a place within myself that it was proper for me to be engaging with a medicine like that. And I did see it as a medicine. And I found myself holding space for everybody who was engaged in that process that night as well. And somehow, I don't know if it was my quantum self sending some messages to teenage me or what, but I realized that like I did not have the skill set or the wherewithal to be engaging in that at that time. So I didn't re-engage with any kind of antigen or psychedelic until my mid-20s. And the next experience was with my father. <clears throat> Wait, and so with your father though, so what was the impetus for you trying psychedelics again in your 20s and with your father? Yeah, well, my dad and I had had some turbulence in our relationship and we were coming back together. And it was both for the purpose of healing as well as for the purpose of him teaching me my first education in how to be a psychedelic and entheogenic facilitator came from my dad. Of course, like a lot of it came through osmosis as a kid, but my first like actual like this is how you set an intention. This is what a journey looks like. And this is how you begin integration that came from him. Wow, that is unbelievable. I mean, you're probably the first person that I've heard who actually who not only grew up with the plant medicines around you, but the fact that you, both your parents were really well-versed in that world, in the psychedelic world. Yeah, to this day, um, they, are, they are two of my most important and strongest mentors in the space. What's exciting now is, of course, like we can share stories and bounce information off of each other, which is really cool. My mom doesn't necessarily work with the medicines per se, but all of these practices influence the work that we do, you know, whether it be in my counseling practice with my clients or, you know, their psychotherapy practices with their clients as well. So tell me about that experience of the psychedelic journey that you had with your father yeah. when you decided to try it in your 20s. What was the actual experience like? I feel like, you know, in a psychedelic journey, your senses are heightened, sound, body, just everything. Yeah. Give me a sense of what it felt like to be so, in that experience. And I'm taking myself back there as you asked that question. And I was 25. I will be 37 this year. And I, I don't think I realized it at the time, but I was quite guarded. And I took a very, very mild dose. And so I think the combination of that simply allowed me to drop into nature and my breath and connection. But what it did was it certainly created some openings in me for my next set of journeys and experiences. Mm -hmm. Then over the next five years in deepening my path and learning more about psychedelic facilitation and treating myself really as my own client and mm -hmm. practicing with myself and also with my family, I call them like hashtag fam journeys, like when we all journey together, I learned a lot. And I did have some, some deep somatic experiences that I kind of felt like I was almost bumping up against. Like I would really open up with my breath. I would really drop into a center. I would be able to get into like a really beautiful, deep state of balance of, of both somatic peace and openness and also neuroemotional cognitive processing, if you will, like really, really opening up to new concepts, to connection and in that, I started to feel like I was beginning to hit a wall. And the joke kind of became, as I started to do this a little bit with friends here and there, the joke became, here's the point in the night where Evacheska is going to pontificate about love. <laughs> and I noticed like, okay, I'm starting to move through some really great things in my body. I'm releasing tension in places that I was holding tension. I'm processing some things. I'm realizing some things about myself that maybe I wasn't so aware of. And yet, I keep coming back to love. Now, normally that would be a really good thing, right? I, I do believe that love is like the driving force of the universe. It's the thing that creates everything. And I within myself started to notice that it was a little bit of a barrier for me, that there was nothing underneath this understanding of concept of oneness and love and unity and connection that I needed to go deeper within myself. And so after many years of deep work within myself, both in facilitated and then solo facilitated ceremonial and journey spaces with psilocybin and MDMA and LSD, 
I felt the call to ayahuasca. Before we move into the ayahuasca, this journey that you did with your dad when you're in your 20s, what were some of the things that were coming up that you had to process? Yeah, could- I think actually like it wasn't that one specifically in which things came up that needed processing because as I said, you know, I was still quite guarded and I took a very like a uh, minor dose. But later on, when he and I sat down with the intention of really, really healing our relationship together, I mean, some of the things that I needed to process were around just getting outside of my fear of how to speak to him, how to speak my truth, how to be able to connect with him, how to love him and love myself while loving him. And, you know, the thing that I'll say about that is like that one first journey, not the one at 25, but the one where we really set the intention to go in together. While it was absolutely deeply, deeply healing for for us, it only just opened a door for us to grow deeper. And it opened some really, really important neural pathways and channels within myself to be able to do some very, very deep integration. And I do, as somebody who is an integration counselor, I'm integrating my experiences with these medicines every single day of my life, truly. Mm -hmm. Without integration, I think that the best ceremony, the most beautiful experience, the deepest experience, it really is all for naught if we're not integrating. And so that, that journey with my dad like really opened the door for some very, very, very important integration with how we connected with each other. And also for me, how I connect with myself, how I respond within myself when I notice how I'm connecting with somebody else, how I talk to myself, where the other areas that need to be explored are, et cetera. Well, it's interesting because I think anybody who's ever done a psychedelic journey or even before you decide that you're going to do one, you may have the notion that it's a one and done, <laughs> right? Yes. And I think you realize when you actually do the experience that it literally just peels back the first layer and there's so much more work that needs to be okay. done. And, you know, I have friends who've asked me about my psychedelic experience with psilocybin and I tell them it was profound. It was challenging. It was emotional. It lasted over eight hours, but it only scratched the surface. And I really want people to know, and it's great that you said that, it just scratches the surface. And so I don't want anyone to think going in that they're going to do, you know, one ayahuasca journey or one psilocybin or one LSD journey, that they're going to be magically better and that they're going to be cured in a sense, right? That they're going to walk out of that experience and, and just think that now everything is fine without really doing the hard work, which is the integration. Yeah. I think the thing is, it's like, I actually want to like eradicate the word cure from our lexicon. You know, I think that in the West, especially in America, we Mm -hmm. are looking for like, you know, the magic pill, the silver bullet. And it's like, let's alleviate ourselves of that notion. And I like to use the analogy of the mountain where it's like you start on the east side of the mountain. And at the very bottom, I'll use for myself something that I've been moving through since I started this work, which was like self-esteem. And so it's like, I started on the east side at self-esteem when I was in a really rough place. And then I had this beautiful psychedelic experience and I moved through so much of it. And I was like, yes, okay. And I started integrating and I started walking around the mountain. I'm like feeling really, really good. And I'm ascending up the mountain. And then I get back to the east side, which has the line of self-esteem. And I'm like, wait, are you freaking kidding me? I'm here again. I thought I had worked through this, but I realized I'm, I'm not at the bottom of the mountain. I'm at a higher point on the mountain. So my perspective is different. My vantage point is different. And that's kind of how I explain this. And it doesn't necessarily mean you'll need another psychedelic experience, another entheogenic experience. What it means is that, you know, you are on this beautiful, what I like to call the never ending, ever winding journey back to self, coming home to yourself over and over. As you said, peeling back these layers so you can get to know yourself far better than you ever did before. But yes, it does take intention and thoughtfulness and mindfulness and deliberation and the ability to really be like, okay, you know, like I can move through a lot in one night in an ayahuasca ceremony, so much more than potentially years of of something else. And this is going to take some care and thought and attention to be able to cultivate this experience further. So what was your, your integration like? And maybe explain what integration is for anybody who's watching or listening. Yeah. And what was your integration like after this experience? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, integration at its most fundamental is the act of integrating. So incorporating 
the experience into your everyday life. So what are the key takeaways, the lessons, the information, the openings, the shifts that you encountered in that experience? And how are you baking that into your movements, your thoughts, your actions, your behaviors, and everything that you think, do, say, feel, touch, see, smell, taste every day of your life, whether you're at work, whether you're hanging out at home, whether you're with your friends. So that's what integration is. My integration experience in the beginning, and it's shifted over time. My life now centers around this work. And so things are quite different than when I was like a up and coming, very young executive. Feels like another lifetime. But it was a deep journaling practice. It was integration counseling, having support. I think having support on this journey is really important. No matter who we are, my mentors in this space all have their own coaches and mentors and supports. I feel like, you know, walking the walk here is really important. So it's something that I always strive to to do. And so a journaling practice to continue to keep those pathways open. What am I experiencing today? What do I remember about that moment in time? How did my body feel during that moment? What does it feel like now? And the somatic experience of it is really, really important. You know, this is, this is the language that our entire being speaks is held in our bodies. Another part of integration for me and for many is being outside and being in nature, being away from technology, really dropping in again to that felt sense, trying to move out of here and into here. And then having, you know, proper sounding boards, whether again, that be an integration counselor or coach or some trusted source that you can really share these things with. Now, I want to caveat that latter piece by saying, if you have people in your life and in your network who are not experienced with this, it can be quite alienating. And so that's why it's important to be able to find a sounding board potentially in a counselor or in a community. If you don't have the means for integration counseling to be able to find a good community online to be able to bounce things off of, just so you have right. someone or some group to be able to speak to. I was very fortunate that I have a lot of people in my network who understood. And also I went through a long period of time up until quite recently where there were a lot of people who didn't understand. Mm -hmm. And so I recognize the challenges. Well, it's interesting because the first time that you and I met was actually at a woman's circle that you started yeah. and that you hosted. And I remember you telling your story about leaving corporate America, a very high powered corporate job, and how you actually struggled with that decision for a very long time. There was that pull, but you resisted it for a long time. Right. Can you share a little bit more about what was going on with you in your life? Yeah, thank you for asking. It's a gift to hear that you recall that. It's really important for me to remember those things and to come back to that version of me. I was working for a $750 million company as a, a very young vice president. And I, oh gosh, I was pretty spiritually closeted. Nobody <laughs> really knew about my, my entheogenic and psychedelic practice. Very few people knew about my mindfulness and meditation practice. So I did like let that kind of sneak into the office, you know? And for years, I was starting to feel this like tug at my chest that tongue in cheek, I can say now it was time to join the family business. Mm -hmm. I wanted to go back to school. I wanted to start studying. I was really recognizing that like my, my gift in corporate America was supporting other people find their path and helping them discover their own success and helping them learn the tools to succeed and grow. And yet doing that in a corporate environment just didn't resonate deeply. I was afraid. I, I was afraid of giving up the big income, which I was super addicted to. I was like really, really tied to my identity, to like the archetype of being like the badass, like woman in business, especially at, at such a young age. I was certainly addicted to like the shoes and the handbags and like the lifestyle and so there were so many different variables that the call just continued to get louder and louder and louder. And it's funny, like I recognize that I've said this to some people in my network, like dear friends, you have to run to something, not from something. Sometimes you need to be pushed off a cliff in order for you to spread your wings and fly. And it's like all of those things were things that I needed somebody to say to me back then. But even if they had, I probably would not have listened. <laughs> <laughs> of course not. Yeah. Everyone thinks that there's such cliches. But it really does happen. Yeah, I mean, things happen for a reason, yeah. whether or not you want to believe it. That divine timing is real. Right. Yeah. And things do show up, whether or not you're open to it. Sometimes it forces you 
into the next path that you're supposed to be on. Absolutely. And so that's kind of what happened. You know, I left one job and I took another and that one just really wasn't right. And I kind of started yeah. parallel pathing, building Temple Soto Luce. And then, but still I was coming from this fear place. So even when I left that, I started a consulting business because I was like, I can't do what I, I tend to do full time, like while I'm in school, all this stuff. And the universe kind of made some decisions for me in getting me to go all in. And I'm very grateful that now that I, I get to support and facilitate these types of healing spaces for people to really do their own work. It's not about abdicating ability or power or responsibility to me or to, to plant medicines. Truly, it's about allowing these containers to help remember what's inside and to peel back the layers, as you so aptly said. What were the messages from the universe that made you pay attention and essentially forced you on the path that you're supposed to be on? Yeah, well, you know, things just kind of kept like falling out from under my feet mm -hmm. in the other world. Like I would be presented with this really beautiful opportunity that would like sustain my income so I could keep exploring this more comfortably. And then it would suddenly disappear. And wow, right before it would disappear, I'd be meditating or I would be in a ceremony and I would get this message like it's almost time. And I would be like, okay, but I'm not ready. Sometimes we are far more ready than we realize we are. Right. And sometimes, even if you aren't ready, right, the universe does have your back. Absolutely. I mean, I'm a firm believer in anything that is meant for you will not pass you by. And that the things that are not meant for you will be quickly extricated from your life the further you get into alignment with your path. And I have seen that time and again through income opportunities, through relationships, through friendships, even through material things that have just disappeared from my life that we're not serving. And I'm very grateful. <laughs> I'm very, very grateful. But it's been wild to experience. So the universe gives you these messages that you cannot ignore. So what happens next? What is the next plant medicine journey that you decide that you are going to do, yeah. that you are going to go on? So, well, I first, I spent a month in Peru, you know, leaning into my time with ayahuasca and plant medicine in January of 22. And then just this past January, February of 2023, I just got back three weeks ago from living in the Northern Amazon jungle, studying under an ind indigenous Pibo Curandero, who's somebody who serves ayahuasca and works with other indigenous and ancestral approaches to plant medicines that are not psychedelic or entheogenic, but are, are healing in their own respects. So I spent two months there. And part of that process also is the dieta process in which you clear your physical and emotional channels, your psychological channels, you abstain from certain thoughts, you abstain from certain foods, talking to people, touching people, and you drink a tea made from a certain plant. And in exchange for your abstinence in many different respects, the plant teaches you. And so that is a big part of my path. I now have four dietas. I'm actually about to embark upon number five in just a couple of weeks with the blue lotus. And so that is a big part of it. And then I, I will certainly be returning at least once a year to the jungle to deepen my devotional connection to these plants and to study. I also will be attending Spirit Walk in June to begin my relationship with peyote through a very ancestral, sacred, and devotional way of approaching that medicine. And peyote's been calling for a very long time, and I'm really looking forward to meeting him in that very traditional respect. Well, you have so much experience with so many different types of plant medicines. If there was one significant journey that you can share, and I know they were all significant in their own way, mm. profound, deep messages that yeah. came out of it, deep learnings, but if you could share one. Yeah. I'd love to speak to two, if that's okay. Sure. Yeah. One of the ceremonies that I really want to speak to came in just about six or seven weeks ago in the jungle. And the reason I want to speak to it is because... I do believe that with the people that I work with, that I facilitate with, and many other people that I know, I believe that there is this thought that like you have to get your ass kicked in order to have a powerful ceremony, that you have to be yes. high out of your mind or unable to walk. Mm -hmm. And what I know to be true is that some of the deepest ceremonies of my life have been so subtle and so nuanced. And so I had a ceremony in Peru where... 
I really didn't feel the medicine very much. And, you know, I've really been working through what it means to feel the medicine because of everything I just said. Like, does feeling the medicine mean I have to be high out of my mind? Like, <laughs> do I have to have like deep body feels or can I, can I really just be dropping into a state of presence? Mm. And so I felt quite sober in an ayahuasca ceremony at, in Peru. And I spent the entire six hours reflecting upon various moments in my life where I had behaved in a way that I was less than proud of. And instead of even using those words, I held that vision of myself in that moment in front of me and kind of like sat down in front of her. And I wrapped my arms around her. And I said, I understand why you behaved that way. And I was able to, within my body, connect it to a moment in time in childhood where something had happened that had kind of created that wound. And then that was the basis from which that behavior had stemmed. And I totally understand why you have behaved in the way that you've behaved. And it's totally okay because you were hurting, you were in pain and you didn't know what else to do. And then with my arms wrapped around her, I would say, you are safe to express here. You're safe to say anything or behave in any way you need to with me. And you will never have to express that way with anybody else ever again, because I will be the, and then insert whatever she was not getting as a child. So I will be the divine masculine energy and, and shoulder for you to lean on that you didn't feel like you got in that moment as a kid, or I will be the divine feminine spirit and shoulder to lean on that you didn't feel like you had, or if it was something that had to do with a relationship with a boy or something like that, to, just to speak to that. And that was from a really sober space. And that was really powerful. The other ceremony that, that I want to speak to is in an ayahuasca ceremony where I realized I never knew how to ask for help. And I'm sitting there. It was my second ayahuasca ceremony ever. And I was at the moment very sober and telling myself, okay, like I'm going to be patient. I'm going to be patient. It will come on when it's going to come on. I'm like repeating my intention like a mantra, like a mantra over and over. And I'm like, I can be patient. I can be patient. And then suddenly I feel myself get angry. And I'm like, F this. I don't want to be patient anymore. Like I'm supposed to ask for help. I'm asking for help. I'm like screaming in my head at the medicine. Like I, here I am. I'm asking for your help. Like effing help me, help me, help me. And I just get this like nod back. And this voice just kind of goes, help yourself. And I realized that she had to speak my language, she being ayahuasca. She had to speak my language. And that, that stubborn girl who would never ask for help was now being told to help herself when she could never ask for help. And so it opened this dialogue of really exploring why I was not comfortable and the fact that I thought that asking for help made me weak and I would rather be strong, but that it was okay and strength actually meant being vulnerable. So that was a very powerful one. And that one had a lot of somatic release. That one, I was like, really uncomfortable in my body, like really feeling like my muscles tense up because the protective mechanism of never asking for help was stored in my cells. And so my cells were in this place of release, release, release. So I really had to lean into my breath and breathe into those spaces. I think it's really important for people to remember if they ever feel uncomfortable, they can always place a hand on their heart, a hand on their belly and breathe into those spaces. And always, always important to just be able to tell all the parts of yourself, I am safe, I am safe, I am safe with your breath. And then the last one I will speak to is many years ago, my heart was broken seemingly out of nowhere. Mm. And I went into like a deep, deep journey. And I was just in so much pain. My heart was in so much pain. And about two hours in, I was like, oh, oh my gosh. Like, there's really nothing to be hurting here about because, like, everything is love. And, like, this person, I see how and why they behaved the way that they behaved. And it didn't mean that I wasn't hurting after the ceremony because I was. And it took a lot of integration of this perspective to heal my heart. And also, I was able to create the opening of getting to the place of like, oh, okay, like I understand what happened here. And just even that little tiny key of giving me some of that understanding gave me all of this material to integrate, which it became a daily process of integrating of like when I was hurting to create space for that pain, 
not to swallow it and to bring myself back to the ceremony in which I understood why that heartbreak needed to occur. Well, can you talk a little bit more in detail about this third ceremony? And obviously it was a heartbreak. It was the end of a relationship. Yeah. Yeah. It, it was a very like abrupt end of a relationship. Mm-hmm. And so why did you feel the need to do a ceremony after that abrupt breakup? Yeah. I mean, I will say like, I, I didn't even treat it like all too ceremonially. I would say like, this was like probably the space where I was like many years ago and I was not as like devoted to this work as I am now and not as like in the practice as deeply. And so it was kind of just like, a okay, like, I don't even know what to do with my feelings right now. But you know, it was just kind of like the space of like, oh my gosh, like, I'm feeling so much. And if I'm going to like, I need to create these openings and like really explore it. I wouldn't recommend that for people who are not experienced, even for people who are, it's like really important to have somebody holding that space for you. I, I will say like one of the things that I've, I've generally had and continue to develop over my life is a deep ability to listen to mm-hmm. my psyche, my spirit, and my body, and to try to pull them into alignment, my heart, of course. And there was something saying, hey, like, we need to get into alignment, and the way to do it is going to be through this experience. I listened to that call. And I do find that with these medicines, people often do feel called in some way, shape, or form. And honoring that inner compass is very important in this work. And honoring that inner compass with support is very, very important in this work. I mean, so much of everything that you've said resonates with me. First, the fact that the medicine, the right plant medicine will call to you when it's the right time. And the call will be so loud and so clear that you cannot ignore it. I know that was absolutely for me that... Within the span of less than three weeks, I was doing it. It called to me and it was I it was so definitive. I made the decision right then and there. That's what I'm gonna do. Wow. I have no idea where that came from. <laughs> I've smoked, you know, weed. I did MDMA twice when I was in my twenties, right? Recreationally, and then, you know, drinking alcohol, wine. I have never even thought about doing psychedelics. Sure. Not that there's sure. anything wrong with doing psychedelics, but it just wasn't even in my view of, oh, it's something that I'm gonna potentially try. The other thing that really resonated when you said was that you had a really hard time asking for help. Mm. And I have to tell you, I had the hardest time, even to this day, it's still really hard for me to ask people for help. I think a combination of what you said of weakness, but I also have the sense of wanting to be perfect Or wanting the things that I'm doing to be perfect or at least close to perfect as possible. And I want to be able to present that to people rather than me saying, I don't really know how to do this. I don't know. Can you help me figure this out? And it's just now in the past few years that I really have been okay being vulnerable with people and asking my husband or my friends or colleagues for help. Yeah. Thank you so much for saying that. It's deep indoctrination, whether it's like with me, it's, I saw it as a sign of weakness, not for other people to ask for help, but for me to ask for help or the perfectionism thing, which also very much resonates with me or like this world of like social media where we're seeing all this perfection online. So like, gosh, like if we're not perfect, what does that mean? There's so many different layers to this deep indoctrination. And I would say that like, as I said earlier, these medicines, they are teachers and guides, allies, and co-creators in helping us remember about ourselves is that we are perfectly imperfect. Yes. And that healing, of course, is a very deeply personal internal journey and also happens in community, which means that that support is really important. The one thing I also want to go back to really quickly is like the call that, I mean, wow, three weeks, man, that is so fast. I often hear, well, I started hearing about ayahuasca like three years ago and then like somebody else started talking about it, somebody else, and then it just like kept popping up. That also is a call, right? Somebody inviting you to watch the Fantastic Fungi documentary. Call can happen so many different ways, right? Like you could be on a hike and just see mushrooms everywhere and start thinking about it. Burning Man could be part of a call for you. There are so many, so many different ways that the call can show up. But I do find that that it does happen. And 
the more we have these conversations, the more we realize that like, wow, our journeys are all really, really individual. There are also so many common threads because we are all human and we are here to be human. I believe that that's why we are on this planet is to have a human experience and to become as deeply integrated human beings as we possibly can be. And a deeply integrated human to me means taking all of the pieces of the self from all of the different moments in our lives and wrapping our arms around them and telling them that they have a space here and integrating them into who we are today. And that we're just all so deeply connected. So connected. I mean, oh whether God. or not you want to believe it, the signs are everywhere. Oh. We're all so deeply connected. What's well, funny you mentioned, so the reason why it was so quick for me, I was watching a video. It was on Facebook Watch. It was a Red Table Talk episode mm. with you know Jada Pickens-Smith and her mother and her daughter. And they were talking about several different types of plant medicines. They had somebody who was talking about their ayahuasca experience, MDMA, and psilocybin. And for some reason, the psilocybin out of all the other ones yeah. that they were talking about just resonated immediately with me. Immediately. Yeah. I Right then and there, I was like, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to do that. Yeah. And I immediately started texting friends that I thought could potentially help me find somebody to guide me. I wanted a woman to guide me. I wanted to do it by myself, not in a group setting. Like I knew exactly the experience that I wanted. And then less than three weeks later, I found the person who was going to guide me and I had my journey. Oh my gosh. And for me, I truly believe that it was divinely guided every step of the way. There's no other way to explain it. The way that it happened, it was divinely guided every step of the way. Of course it was. I mean, it makes perfect sense. So the other thing that resonated with me, what you talked about, is that your body keeps the score. Yes. Yeah. Your body holds on to so much of your emotional wounds, your experiences, any past traumas. Right? Yes. I mean, it has now been proven scientifically. So for those of us who do not fully believe in the energetic holding of these mechanisms, it has been proven scientifically that we quite literally carry ancestral trauma in our DNA and that this deep work, whether it be with entheogens, psychedelics, or energy work, somatic experiencing, that we are able to release this trauma from ourselves and actually engage epigenetics. And epigenetics is the act of actually changing our DNA. And sidebar, ayahuasca, they are now starting to study epigenetics and ayahuasca and how ayahuasca is leading to epigenetics, but I'll set that aside for now. I mean, as I continue in my studies, as I continue to grow my practice, as I continue to do my own work within myself, I am realizing that the most important aspect of all of this is a deep understanding of the nervous system and of thematic work. It has been absolutely tantamount to my own growth, to leaning into my path, to discovering myself, and to being able to support others as they do their own healing as well. So I want to go back a little bit. You talked about those ayahuasca journeys that you had. Tell me for you the connection that you were able to make between your body and being able to regulate your nervous system and how did the ayahuasca help you to do that and to be able to release some of the emotional energy and trauma, whatever you had repressed for so long? Yeah, it's a really great question. I mean, I think first and foremost, one of the things I'm very grateful about with my unique upbringing The list is long, but one of the things I'm very, very grateful about is that my parents taught me breath work at a very young age, a very young age. And so when I first started sitting with ayahuasca and I would notice that I would leave my window of tolerance, right? So our window of tolerance is basically the the place that we exist within within our normal day-to-day life without our nervous system spiking in, in a certain direction. So whenever you notice your heart rate is elevated in a conversation with someone, you notice your cheeks getting hot, you notice that you you get jittery or uncomfortable, you want to leave or you want to be aggressive, right? Your fight, your flight, that's your, your nervous system and your sympathetic nervous system kicking in and getting outside of your window of tolerance. Now, breath, nice, long, slow inhales and even longer, slow exhales can kick on your parasympathetic nervous system to help you move out of that fight or flight state. So I've had a skill set and a lexicon there when I went into ayahuasca. So when I noticed myself getting close to leaving my window of tolerance because I was upset or sad or angry, I was able to breathe 
and create space for that emotion and create space for the part of me that was being activated by that emotion. And so ayahuasca actually helped me lean in even more deeply to my breathwork practice and breathe more deeply, I think, than I've ever breathed in my entire life. And during these ayahuasca journeys, I know you had some challenging moments. What did you see? What did you hear? Give me a sensory experience so that whoever is listening or watching can get a real full perspective about what a potential ayahuasca journey could be like. And again, disclaimer that everyone's journey is going to be vastly different. It could be magical and mystical and difficult. It could just be completely challenging the entire time or a combination of both. I want to add to that by saying not only is everybody's experience different, for me, after having sat hundreds of times at this point, every ceremony is different for me. (laughs) You know, like no two are alike. And it's wonderful. And some are so beautiful and some have been deeply challenging. And I will say that like the challenging ones I actually think are better because I do see people getting a little bit addicted to the beautiful experiences and doing some bypassing. And so the challenging, that, that's where it really all happens. That's where the magic happens. I've had my experiences where I've seen all of like the psychedelic Alex Gray, beautiful imagery. I have been up in the cosmos and the stars flying around the planets. I've been in other worlds, other dimensions, you know, all of that kind of stuff. I, I had an experience, I want to say it was maybe somewhere between my sixth to ninth ceremony. And by the way, I didn't purge from my first six ceremonies. So vomiting is not a given. There are lots of different ways to purge. You can shake, you can cry, you can laugh, you can sweat. Your teeth can chatter, you can dance, you can yawn. You know, there are lots of different ways to purge. It's not just vomiting. Oh my God, I had no idea. Oh, yeah. That's the first time. This is so informational oh, and yeah. educational. Yeah, I mean, we call it, so like in the lineage under which I study, we call it getting well when you purge, right? Because you're releasing that energy from your body. When an animal in the wild is attacked, the first thing they do is they shake it off And that's them kind of like purging that energy, right? Releasing that energy. And it's the same thing. Purging can happen that way with us too, the release of energy. If ever you're having a tough day and you feel like you just need to like really let something go, a really great thing to do is just like shake your body and breathe it out. So I think it was somewhere between my sixth to my ninth, I was in a deep space of working with my inner child. And, oh, this might make me emotional. My inner child is such a beautiful teacher. (laughs) I'm so grateful for her. And I found her on the side of a cliff, just pushing off these giant boulders one after another, just like pushing these boulders off a cliff. And I asked her what she was doing. And she said, it's too heavy. It's too heavy. Like, I don't want to carry it anymore. It's too heavy. And so I desperately started to push these boulders off this cliff with her. And she had too much and she just flung herself off the cliff. And of course she didn't die. She she flew and she reappeared next to me and she was so frustrated because it was just too heavy. And what she was talking about was the weight of the household in which I grew up. I'm desperately just trying to push these boulders off the side of the hill to help her. At that time, I didn't entirely have the lexicon of how to speak to my inner child yet. And it was in the ceremony that it did switch. That I, I was like, oh, I actually, I know this. And I know how to do this. But in that moment, I, I didn't recall it. So then she lights herself on fire. And I'm terrified. And, and f- to further my terror, I'm like, oh, my gosh, if this little version of me dies, do I die? Hmm. And so there was that fear there as well. But, of course, she didn't die. She walks right out of the fire, you know. And, and we had a really beautiful conversation about how her jumping off the cliff and her lighting herself on fire actually allowed certain pieces of what she was carrying to die so she could be present. And then it all kind of clicked in and I was able to reparent my inner child and provide for her things that she didn't feel like she had and let her know that I, as a grown-up, would carry that weight for her. But that that was a really intense, intense experience. For you, how do you integrate or reintegrate into normal three-dimensional life, especially after your most recent trip to Peru. And even after all of these other journeys that you've had, what are your kind of takeaways for integrating and reintegrating into this world, this third dimensional, very dense 
heavy world. Part of it is exactly what I said to you about like, we are here to have a human experience. So like, I really lean into human things, like sensory things, crunch. Oh. I, I mean, you know, like, it sounds like a really funny thing, but like really experiencing the crunch of a raw almond, like really get me into my body. Little things like bilateral stimulation, just kind of when I'm sitting by myself doing this, this is bilateral stimulation or doing it on your knees. It activates the vagus nerve, which- So just like, so you mean just like soothing yourself well, like this? No, it's actually tap. Oh, tap. Bilateral tapping or doing it on top of your knees. It, it activates your vagus nerve, which really regulates your nervous system and brings you into your body. I live very close to Central Park. I'm very fortunate. So I like to go to the park. It's a little cold right now, but I've been as much as possible when I can take my shoes off and get them on the ground. Mm. Grounding is a very important part of integration. Really taking care of my body. Exercise, hydration, 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 proper nutrition, proper rest, and writing, dance, music, you know, really basic things like that. You know, people get afraid that integration is like, oh, I have to meditate for three hours a day. Right. <laughs> if you can sit down for 90 seconds and just breathe for 90 seconds alone. Or if you are a runner, that's moving meditation. Meditation doesn't have to be hours and hours. Just creating some mm -hmm. space and mindfulness for yourself. Those are some real, real basic fundamentals of integration that can be done anytime, anywhere. So for you... Which ceremony was it that really led you to what you do now? Oh my gosh. And that you could not ignore it anymore. And I know you, because you, you had been pushing it away and avoiding making yeah. that leap. Oh gosh. Well, there was one, a family journey in, oh gosh, November of 2018, where I just kind of had this like out of body experience where I was like, oh my gosh, like. I, I don't, I don't even know, like the felt sense was just like, oh, this is what I'm supposed to be doing. Like it's this. And I, and then I got really scared and, mm. and I was like, oh my gosh. Cause I, at that point I hadn't done a ton of work on my ego yet. I, I really didn't really want to go down that path. Cause like, I was kind of like struggling with my self-esteem, my body image and all this stuff. And I, I look like a totally different person than I did back then. Like it's not because I'm not wearing all the makeup and I'm not blow drying my hair. Not that there's anything wrong with those things. It's just my relationship with those behaviors was imbalanced at that point in time in my life because I thought I needed to do it instead of like treating it like art. That weekend was, was really big for me. You know, my whole life I knew this was my path. It was just a matter of how I was going to get here. Well, it's so interesting what you said about how you were before your ayahuasca ceremonies, because when I first met you, the way that you presented yourself was just a very calm force. You had this very calm, just really warm maternal energy mm -hmm. and great listener very thoughtful, very purposeful. You had such good intentions. Mm -hmm. I have to say it probably, you have to attribute that to these plant medicine journeys that you did. I mean, I, I would say part of me has always been that way. And the part of me that was not deeply integrated into myself was not that way. And so thank you so much for that reflection. It really means a lot to hear and yeah, the medicine has certainly helped me get into alignment with myself. And I, in my morning ritual every day, I set an intention. I think that's probably one of the most difficult things for most people. I know it is for me, is being in the moment. I do my meditation practice in the morning after I work out, but sometimes, right, life gets ahead of you and life just kind of grabs you the minute that it just starts up each day. And it's so hard to even if you have the best of intentions, it's so hard sometimes to be in that moment. Because I have to tell you, there are moments when I feel like I disassociate a little bit from my body. Mm -hmm. And yeah. it's hard for me to get back in there. Yeah. It's really hard sometimes for me to get back and ground myself. Yeah, I've been trying to figure out why I feel that sense of dissociation. Right. And I don't know if it's because I just don't want to be in that space <laughs> or in that 
situation or I just have other things that I'm thinking about and my mind is just wandering. Yeah. Right. It could be a combination of both. Well, there are a few things I would say to that. I would say number one, sometimes being present and being mindful is being present and mindful with all of the stuff that's happening in your head. <laughs> you know what I mean? So it's like being present, being mindful doesn't mean always clearing your head and like being right. Like <laughs> it can be that. And that's beautiful. And it's like, all right, let me be really present and really mindful about the fact that like, I can't stop thinking about a million things right now. I just can't. What is this sensation? Where am I experiencing my body? My head feels like it's going to explode. Okay. I'm going to be present with that. You know, like allowing space for that. In terms of the dissociation, when that's happening, part of us is trying to keep us safe. Mm. So if you can identify what part of me is cowering, what part of me is running, what, where, and if you don't know what part, where is it in my body that's driving? Right. Can I just spend a minute focusing on that part of my body and thanking it for sending up the warning signs? And so really just, again, it's like learning the lexicon, really learning that, that communication channel of asking the question, inner listening, knowing sometimes you won't get the answer and that's okay too. Right. But the awareness of that like dissociation is a really actually important foundational starting point. And just giving yourself a lot of grace. Oh my right? gosh. Yes. Yes. Amen to that. Aho. <laughs> Forget perfection. I mean, I really had to throw that the idea of perfection out the window. Yeah. It's an unattainable of course. It's an un unattainable goal. And how boring would it be if we were all perfect? It would be so boring, but we get it in our heads. But you know, I commend no. you for working through that and continuing to lean into not having to be perfect. That's practice also. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. It's such a beautiful way to end this conversation too. It's been so wonderful to mm -hmm. talk to you. It's been so wonderful getting to know you and the friendship that we have cultivated. I just really am so grateful. I am too, man. I'm so grateful. I'm so excited for your podcast. I'm so honored to be featured here and to have this conversation. I feel like you and I could speak for hours on this topic, but just thank you so much for, for having me on one of your early shows. And I hope to be on again in the future. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. We will definitely have a part two for sure. Wonderful. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. You. Take care. <laughs> I hope you enjoyed today's episode. Your support means a lot to me. So if you want to hear more, please subscribe, download, and share with friends and family. And I'd love to hear your thoughts on this episode. So let me know what resonates for you. Thanks so much for listening. Until next time, take care. Thank you.